The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Every week we start our show with a bit of fiddle music. We play banjo and other guitar bits in between. The sounds of the Civil War come to us in these recreated musical performances, but we never talk about what's actually being played. That changes today. Our guest, Bobby Horton, has made a career of recreating the music of the Civil War, not just as an intellectual exercise, but as living, active music in the 21st century. We'll hear from Bobby Horton and his music today on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University world headquarters of Civil War Talk Radio and chair's office of the history department at East Carolina University, but not speaking from the chair on behalf of the department or the university or the UNC system or anyone else, just for myself, and our guest will, as always, do the same thing. Well, it is a beautiful autumn afternoon here in North Carolina in November 2012, it's the week before Thanksgiving. The campus is still busy today, but it will start to decline in activity after uh, this weekend's football game. I don't know if we have a home game. I don't think so. Uh, and then it'll it'll get uh, very quiet next week as the students all leave for Thanksgiving holiday. It will stay quiet. There will be a home game the following Saturday, and nobody will be there because the students won't be back. Uh, that'll be an interesting one to watch. And we won't be back uh, next uh, next Friday, the 23rd of November, because it will be that holiday weekend. Uh, I imagine our uh, hosts at Civil War Talk Radio will want to be home recovering from the turkey consumption. Uh, I'll certainly be doing the same and hope you will be, too. If you're hearing this from outside the United States, uh, feel free to... Uh, engage in fond memories of your own national uh, holiday, Thanksgiving-type holiday, whatever that might be. Uh, 
Thanksgiving is in some ways the most important American holiday uh, because of its secular nature. It can be bigger than any of the religious holidays. All Americans can share it, like the 4th of July. Although even there, as Frederick Douglass asks, what to the Negro is the 4th of July? Um, we can we can deconstruct any holiday and begin to argue about it, but we're not here to do that today. Instead, just to remind you, no show next week for Thanksgiving. But we'll be back November 30th. Ellen Gruber Garvey will be our guest, uh, author of uh, Writing with Scissors, uh, a book about scrapbooking in the 19th century and Civil War era. December 7th, uh, we'll have John Jakes, the uh, famous historical fiction author, with us. And that will bring us to the end of our fall season. We'll have commencement here on campus the following week, and then the Winter holidays are upon us. We'll be back in January. Uh, January 11th will be our first show of the new year. Michael Weeks, author of a series of Civil War travel guides, will join us. That's good reading for these cold months that will be upon us. Uh, plan your trips for the new year with uh, Michael Weeks' various guides of Civil War sites around the country. Uh, Anthony... Uh, Gogan, I'm probably saying it wrong. I'll look it up before the show. Uh, Goggin, that's your pronunciation. I had it written down. Anthony Goggin will be with us on January 18th, uh, talking about, uh, I don't have his book in front of me. It, it's the, uh, the Lee family, the last battle of the Civil War, uh, the, the Lee descendants versus the federal government, uh, in the courts for, for years after the war. We'll talk about that. And there will be many other shows as we go forward into 2013 and hope you can join us for all of those. Looking forward to uh, uh, further productions of Civil War Talk Radio. In the meantime, keep track of it all through the greatest single website ever invented, www.impedimentsofwar.org. Mark Gaffney is in charge there. You'll find out what's coming up on the show. You'll find links to uh, books by authors on the show, links to music uh, that you hear today, hopefully, on the show, links to PayPal, where you can send your hard-earned dollars to civilwartr at aol.com. I'm remiss in not answering a reader request uh, from overseas about cost of postage on books if you want to uh, get them from from far away, and I'll, I'll answer that one later uh this week. It has been the busiest week of the semester by far here at East Carolina. We're hiring a new maritime studies professor, and that means uh, that the search committee and the department chair, which thus includes me, gets to go out to dinner with the candidates. And this is a time-honored ritual in academic recruiting. You, you take your candidate out somewhere. I was told by my mentor many years ago the purpose of this was to uh, see how the candidate holds his liquor uh, to, to make sure they have a few drinks uh, and, and make sure they don't do something that might embarrass the department if you actually hired them. In today's more civilized uh, society, or perhaps less civilized society, we don't do that. Uh, the candidate may or may not have a drink with dinner, but it's not. that's not the purpose. It is, though, to, to uh, engage and, and see how collegial this possible future colleague will be. Then it's a lot of fun. You get dinners paid for by the uh, uh, the taxpayers of North Carolina. 
which is a new thing this year. During the budget bloodbath a few years ago, we had to buy our own dinners, and that made search committee way less popular. Uh, but it's a time sink. It does mean you get home work home late from work every night after after this working dinner, and it's just been a, a incredibly time consuming week here. But now comes the one hour vacation Friday afternoon. Talk civil war. Stop thinking about. Uh, academia in the department and discuss fascinating topics like Civil War music, uh, in this case with someone who uh, knows more about it than practically uh, anyone, I would guess. Uh, he is the performer, single performer, on numerous CDs, numerous collections of uh, 19th century music, plays all the instruments, sings the vocal parts. His name is Bobby Horton, and he's our guest today. Bobby, are you there? Yeah, I am here. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good, good afternoon to you. I'm, I'm so delighted this worked out. You are probably the person most suggested to me as a guest for this show in the last couple of years. Uh, uh, numerous people have answered my calls regularly to let me know who you'd like to hear on the show, and your name just kept coming up, and I'm really glad we were able to work this out and schedule it uh, uh, because you're you're busy, uh, you're a busy man. Uh, is music your day job? Uh, yes, it is, Jerry. I've actually uh, <laughs> I've been playing music since I was just I don't even know seven or whatever, and I'm an old guy now. And I'm, I didn't think I could make a living with history and or music uh, the way I wanted to, so I majored in accounting and economics and what have you. And <laughs> and actually, I've been making my living in music and history as well. Or presenting musical history for gosh thirty something years now, so I'm uh, I'm just I'm just very blessed, you know. To, to uh, you know, I don't know what day it is, you know. As far as I don't hate Mondays, and so therefore I have had a very <laughs> successful life. <laughs> that that is that's impressive. It, it, it really is uh, a wonderful thing to be able to wake up and and not think, oh, I have to go to work today. Uh, right. To oh think, yeah. Yeah, and when I do go to work, it's something I love to do. I mean, it's it's uh, it's just it's like if my father. I've told my father many times, who is ninety four, no World War Two vet, and I'm very just talked to him just a few minutes ago. Um, but I've told him, I said, you know, when I go to work, it's like he loved to fish. He was a hard working man, but he, fishing was his escape. And I says like uh, somebody would tell you, Mister Horton, you come fish on this lake here, and I'll pay you. Fifteen hundred bucks, what do you say? <laughs> and so that's—I kind of go fishing for a living, if you know what I mean. That is a, a great thing to be able to do. So, uh, well, who pays you? How, how do you? Where do you perform? Well, uh, gosh, um, uh, in the universities, I've just really—it's—I uh, was in, uh, for example, this is Friday on Wednesday night. I was in Jackson, Mississippi, playing for an organization over there at the Hilton Hotel, and did a program of uh, music from the war between the states and you know songs and stories and i have stories to go with them and talk and really and truly uh, it is such a labor of love because i have been fascinated with the war since i was nine years old and that was when the centennial hit in 1960 and uh i got brought into it and just have had a fascination with it since i was nine and um and to be able to talk about people I admire so much and uh, to remind people of their sacrifice, you know, in both uh, North and South, I'm one of many Americans who have them on both sides. And and I, what I do when I go out is, is I uh, 
celebrate the common man who answered the call, whether it was a call from Richmond or it was a call from Washington D.C. You know, and it is it is uh, a boy. I'll tell you, it's it's just nothing like it. Um, I, I know one occasion I was uh, uh, we're playing in, in Montpelier, Vermont, in the state house there for uh, what they call Farmers' Night during their session, and there were the room was supposed to hold four hundred something people, and they were eleven hundred in the room, and. The fellow that hired me asked me if I was nervous, and uh, and I had to think about that. I said, "Well, no, I don't think I am, Ken. But uh, you know, uh, I'm anxious to get out there. If I if I were selling myself, I would be nervous. But I'm selling these people, and these people I admire so much. It, and I know people out there that are, are into this know what I'm talking about. I mean, they become more than just names in in a, in a history book. They're real people, and you realize that. And so to be able to, to tell their stories and and to celebrate these people and is, is just a, a wonderful opportunity, and it's just as enjoyable as anything I ever do. Um, and, and I have so many opportunities to do this. It's just I've just done a 10-city tour of the Alabama Symphony. We've got charts, and we did a sesquicentennial thing for uh, – the state of Alabama, and I have several more of those in the in the spring coming up, and uh, that's a thrill to have a fifty-five piece backup band. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so I just have so many wonderful opportunities. I just finished doing uh, music scoring for three films for the National Parks. They're working on fourth one actually right now. Uh, I've just did Shiloh and Chickamauga, and now we're just finishing up Kennesaw, and I'm working on Corinth for their visitor center. So uh, I just I get it from many sources, you know. So I'm, I'm just very, very, very fortunate to to be in this position. There's really something to have uh, such a wide variety of opportunities. What I'd like to do is, is uh, play a piece of music that you recorded, uh, probably the best-known piece of music from the Civil War. Uh, it's not with a symphony orchestra. It's, uh, it's, it's you and a guitar. Right. And uh, we'll play this and, and, and talk about it in a minute. Uh, okay. I don't okay. need to tell people what it is because they'll know. Okay.
again, every listener, of course, recognized Dixie, but I'm guessing many listeners also recognized where they heard that particular version before. Uh, it sounds a lot like the one from the, the Ken Burns Civil War series. Uh, well, that's because it is, actually. It was in uh, Ken's film. That's when Ken found me, and uh, they were in post-production, and I, I talked to his brother Rick. Rick called and said that they were doing a, a, a show, a, a series of a six-night series on PBS, and uh, they wanted to know if they could use that tune. And, of course, I said, sure. And I'd forgotten all about it, and then the show just made such a big hit. And um, it was just amazing program and it the whole country was talking about the war it is just amazing the impact that that thing had back in what 91 i guess when it ran 91 92 somewhere in there that's about right yeah yeah and so i've been ever since then i'm 21 years working for ken just finished my 14th film for him or 15th something like that and it's the dust bowl which will run on sunday the 18th and 19th monday uh and so i've been fortunate to you know have that to do as well but uh it's that that arrangement was uh, if i back up into i was working on my first cd i have a had a well it wasn't a cd then it was a cassette and this was back in 84 when i did this arrangement i'd, I'd actually done a film score for a movie that was set in 1863 southern indiana it was, it was a love story kind of thing but that was the setting and the people were preparing for John Hunt Morgan to come up into southern Indiana, which he, which they did do because he, they thought he was coming, but he actually veered and went up into Ohio. And I know you Civil War scholars out there know that ex, that's exactly right. But anyway, uh, I, I talked to the producer. I said, you know, why don't I see if I can find some um, legit tunes that these people would have known if they were real people at that time. And and he, he consented. So I went down to the Southern History Room here in Birmingham, Alabama, where I live, and found several hundred tunes in one afternoon. And, and that opened my eyes. I said, you know, music must have been pretty important to our ancestors during this time. And, and since I found that that is the case, uh, 3,000, at least 3,000 Union tunes were put in sheet music format and sold. That's a lot of output for four years. And there are approximately 1,000 Southern tunes. So obviously the appetite was great. And I had been asked during that time to um, uh, perform a program of Confederate music for my for my Sons of Confederate Veterans Camp that I belong to. And, uh, and I didn't want to lose my research, so I decided to record this album. I had just come back from Shiloh at, uh, Battlefield, which if if you've not been there, it's pristine. It's just most one of the most moving places you'll ever go. And I had seen uh, recently. I looked at the burial trenches where the the you know the uh, the federal cemetery is beautiful, but the old Confederate boys up there are buried in trenches and they're stacked six, about six deep. And I thought that was so you know it just touched me because these old boys they're. Their um, survivors had no idea where they were buried because they were not marked, and and it may have been a year or two before it, the wife or the mother or the family found out that they had actually died at Shallow. You never know, and I was very moved by that. And so I came home as kind of melancholy about thinking about those poor fellows and their families and what was left. And so that's when I decided to do Dixie and on a slow guitar piece because it's a lovely. Melody. I mean, it's a simple melody. It's 
sort of move some chords through it. You know, they're maybe a little bit different than the than the original version, and uh, that's how that came to pass. And so it ended up uh, closing out my first album, and, and uh, Ken heard that and, and was moved by the thing, and he used it at the surrender and one other side, uh, point in the film. And uh, anyway, that's that's where that arrangement came from. And well, why. It a, it's a beautiful arrangement and, and a, a great story behind it. Uh, this will give us a chance to close out our first segment here. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we'll come back and talk more with Bobby Horton, our guest today, Civil War musician uh, and, and uh, researcher and performer and storyteller. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. We'll be back in just a moment with more of Civil War Talk Radio. have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop take world talk radio on the go and listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person think about that for a second almost everyone wants to be better but how does one go about doing that one thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Radio Variety. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Bobby Horton, musician, storyteller, performer, uh, audio historian of the Civil War. We talked a little bit in the first segment about uh, perhaps the most famous piece of the Civil War, Dixie, and uh, Bobby's rendition of it that you can hear in Ken Burns' uh, famous TV documentary on the Civil War. It uh, it, it reflects, it, it's a slow version played on solo guitar that reflects uh, a contemporary understanding of a traditional piece, which is a uh, a sign of the the continuing vitality of these pieces. They're not just museum pieces to be uh, uh, studied and looked at, but they can be played with fresh uh, emotional power each time. Bobby, let me ask you a question about uh, your your musical background and right. uh-huh. uh, the uh, where, first. Where did you learn to play? Uh, you you play different instruments in all your your. Uh, your recordings, CDs, or cassettes, as you noted. I have, I have some of your cassettes, actually, in the uh, 
uh, glove compartment of my car, which shows how old the car is. <laughs> uh, you go back that far, huh? Uh, but I, but I do remember uh, getting them at different battlefield gift shops and other places. Uh, how 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 did you become a musician? Well, <clears throat> Jerry, my my father was a trumpet player, and um, I never heard him play because uh, we came home from World War II and his bottom teeth weren't there, and that kills your embouchure. So I never heard him play, but I, I had his trumpet, and I would polish it and say, well, I'm going to play this one day. And uh, then my grandfather played old-timey banjo. He um, he learned from his father, who learned from his father, who was in the Randolph County Guards. And the very first tune that Papa taught me was a song that he said, your, grand, your great-great-grandpappy used to play this in the Civil War. So, you know, it, it, it came about honestly, so I started thumping around with it. And, it, you know, kids don't know that something is hard or easy. They just decide they want to do something, and they do it. And that's kind of the way I got started. I did have a formal training on the trumpet via the the grammar school band and high school band. Went to college and played in college as well. And, you know, got the theory and all that sort of thing. And just started picking up. Uh, I've always had a curiosity about what makes Civil War music unique. Where 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 did it get its backbeat? Who where the back? What instruments supplied the backbeat? Where who played the lead? Do the same thing you know, like for Dixieland or, or big band or rock and roll fifties rock and roll. What makes that unique sound? And so I've always been interested in playing each part of it because I was curious about what each instrument contributed to make the sound unique. Where people hear something and they say, "Oh, that's a Civil War era thing," or "That's old timey," or "That's a." Uh, that is a Dixieland piece, but you know they're all unique in that regard, and that curiosity uh, just was I was always there. So I just when I could get a hold of an instrument, I would just sort of learn how to play it <laughs> because nobody what, what, told me it was hard or you couldn't do it. You know? <laughs> and, uh, do you have a favorite of, of instruments? A violin. Oh man, I love violin. I play uh, every morning when I get up. Uh, I try to. I usually wake up around six in the morning and I take my coffee downstairs and. I've, of course, being self-employed, you you have to have the discipline. But I'll, I'll play my violin from when I get up, and I'll drink coffee, and, and at eight o'clock I start working. But I, I I fiddle some, but you know, and I do fiddle. But I love classical. That's uh, that's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do was play classical violin. And you listen to me play, and says, "Boy, that must be hard," because he hasn't mastered it. <laughs> <laughs> but that is my passion. I mean, I love violin. I just love it, and uh, I don't know. There's just something about it that just grabs you, and so I'd have to. That would be my answer. But I play guitars. I don't even remember when I started playing guitar. And uh, like I say, banjo. I was very, very young when I started that, and uh, you know, picked up the other instruments as I've gone through uh, growing up. And I was just very fortunate to be from a family that listened to music. They didn't play music, but they listened. So I was exposed to all kinds of music, and uh, and. So I just love everything, and I love to try to play everything, and so that's how that's the long and short of it. I don't know how interesting that is, but it just is the way it transpired. <laughs> well, so the the uh, and you also sing on these recordings, so you have music in all these formats. But when you said you were surrounded by music, uh, you know, growing up, that strikes me as the way the folk process works that people hear songs and and hear music and and reproduce it themselves and and change it in the process that's exactly um, right and, and you learned to, oh, yeah, to a lot of civil war tunes the same thing must have happened well, yeah uh, it, it, exactly well you just hear you know you just, just there's something about 
a musician, a person that really truly loves music, if there was a hundred dollar bill on the ground or a tune that you know that you could play for years, well, you'd leave a hundred dollar bill and pick up the tune and walk down the road and be happy about it. Um, <clears throat> fiddle music is a wonderful example of what you just said. <clears throat> in in the in fact, if I might make a point that uh, makes Civil War music unique in music from the nineteenth century, uh, Mr. Edison's invention of the recording machine changed everything because prior to that songwriters wrote songs for common folks to sing and so they had to be singable melodies and that you had to write about that which mattered and so during the war this when the music business really got going strong in this country uh everything mattered at that time and so songwriters came out of the woodwork and that's the reason they wrote so many tunes the, the appetite for the tunes was there and people just would scarf them up and uh but Prior, but after Mr. Edison invented the recording machine, songwriters started writing for, for recording artists and no longer writing for common people. And that's another reason that these songs still speak to you today. Because when a melody is simple, uh, a common person can sing it. And also, the simpler the melody, the more you can do with them and to make them more contemporary. You can just move chords around in them and, and they, they take on a new life and a new feel. And that's, uh, it's a very unique thing uh the, the musical legacy that these people left for us is just phenomenal it's just amazing it is rich 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 and uh it, it's just a fascinating study i mean it's been so satisfying to discover all this stuff i stumbled into it i'm not smart enough to know this existed i just stumbled into most of this and and it's just been a wonderful wonderful ride well, you mentioned that, that uh, you know people could apply their own. Uh, well, they apply their own voices to these uh, traditional songs or, or newly written songs, for that matter, that they would hear. Uh, one of the things that one sees in, in Civil War music is the use of uh, the music to tell stories or to convey uh, emotions or, or values, and. To do so using new words, but just taking old melodies for that. Uh, you oh, that was done about, so often. Uh, yes. Uh, th- one tune you mentioned uh, was called "Our Boys Are Gone." Uh, uh-huh. Tell us something about that song. Well, it, it, this this was um, uh, a song that was written one of many to a, an existing melody uh, when the war started in, in the in the uh, market for sheet music was just growing and growing. A lot of people who were word people weren't necessarily musicians. And so what they would do is take a a melody that they knew and that everybody knew, and they would put new, appropriate words to it, and they they were songwriters all of a sudden. And people loved that. Soldiers changed songs all the time. Just because it's on the sheet music doesn't mean that, you know, like a fellow in the 52nd Tennessee sang it that way. You know, he would apply his own words. And that was just so very common. Uh, Our Boys Are Gone is, is written to the old Irish melody called The Minstrel Boy, which was a huge, huge, hugely popular song during the 19th century. And it was, in fact, it was one of President Davis's favorite melodies was our, uh, The Minstrel Boy. And it's just a typical, it's very typical of the way a southern songwriter, and, and the Union Boys did it as well. But this is a ex- great example of a southern songwriter taking a, a melody that people loved and putting appropriate lyrics to it. Let's listen to that song. Okay. 
So there we hear Bobby Horton's version of Our Boys Are Gone uh, to the traditional tune, The Minstrel Boy. Bobby, you did all the parts in that, as you do in, in your recordings. Right. Uh, how do you do that, actually, mechanically speaking? I mean, how, how do you... Do you record one part and then play along with recording of yourself playing the next one and just keep layering That's it on? That's exactly right. The technology is called sound-on-sound sound recording is the old-timey word for it. I don't know what to call it now. But what happens is it, to where you can stay together, you put down some sort of click track where you can you can stay with yourself. And it's like baking a cake. You just put one little ingredient in at a time. Uh, you, you plan out your arrangement. Uh, you know, or what instruments you want to use, and then you get a generally lay down your rhythm tracks first, and then build the uh, instruments. And then the last thing I do is sing. I sing so I can play. I love to play. <laughs> uh, I've never been accused of being a singer, um, so that's what I do. I lay the instruments down first, and and that is the the most fun of the whole process. And then you know, then sing the thing, and then you mix it to where it sounds like uh, you know you put it in the stereo spectrum and make all those decisions, and um, and then that's how that comes to pass. You know, it, I just thought of something, Jerry. When I was beginning this process, I thought very hard, long and hard about it. The history uh, audience is a tough audience because his, people that love history, and particularly this history of the 1860s bring a, a, a lot of knowledge to the table, but not only that, they bring a lot of emotion to the table because you can't help but study these people and, and become emotionally involved with them. And um, so I wanted it to be, my arrangements to be historically plausible. And when I first started this process, I went to sources that would be close. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. My grandfather had this old wind-up Victrola, and he had all these early string band Recordings from the early 19th, I mean the early 20th century, excuse me. And because of the South was isolated, there wasn't tele, tele, there wasn't television and radio and these sort of things that we all take for granted. And so when you listen to a string band recording, you know that that's pretty much the way they were playing it 50 years before when the war was going on. And so I said, well, that's got to be the sound of a string band right there. And one thing I noticed is that everybody, when the recording started, every single player, if you had six players playing, they played wide open from start to finish with no arrangement, you see. And then, you know, the singers have to sing above them to compete with them. And uh, and so I said, you know, that's going to get kind of old. And, and I didn't want to... Modern arranging, you have you lay down your rhythm track and you have the guy singing, and then an instrument will come in on first verse and he'll play fills when the singer's not singing, put licks in between the phrases, and uh, that's not historically correct. And then you bring in another instrument to do the singing in the second verse, and they play a ride and this sort of thing. They play it through, and and that's not a period arrangement. So it took a long time to determine a way to do these recordings where they would be a little more interesting and yet be historically plausible. And so what I decided to do is I just build instruments. And I start with a smaller array of instruments and then, and then I'll introduce an instrument at, at the end of each verse or whatever. And then you, and so but when you they come in they keep playing. And therefore I'm historically correct in my arranging because I'm not arranging the way that people um you know are used to hearing on radio and what have you. And that was took a long time to make that determination. I was very careful with this. I mean, I thought through this whole process when I was back in '84 when I started this, and so that is 
the way I did my arranging for that reason. Well, and I makes, forgot all about that too. You tweaked me there. <laughs> it's been a long time like, ago since I'm, 1984, you know. I'm thinking of uh, you know the string bands you're talking about, uh, you know, Gid Tanner and right, Skillet Lickers, yeah. The, those Papa had a bands. bunch of those recordings, and I heard I grew up hearing that stuff because he'd play them for me on his wind up Victrola. I, I didn't discover that till. 1970s, uh, uh, but it is wonderful music. But you're right; it is is full throttle. The, when, uh, they from start to finish, there's no plays. tension and release. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, they're all going at once. And, and yeah, uh, yeah. And if a spoil singer, it sounded like he was hollering, but he had to be to get over yeah, those guys. You know, that's absolutely because they weren't okay. backing off for him at all. <laughs> well, we're going to take another short break. We'll come back and talk more with our guest today, Bobby Horton, about music of the Civil War era and how he reproduces it today. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and we'll be back with more Civil War Talk Radio. Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Meet best-selling authors, find tantalizing new books, learn the latest healthy living tips, and be inspired to coach yourself to success on Star Style. Be the star you are every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on World Talk Radio. The Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her health hero daughter, Heather Brittany, fire up the airwaves with upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Thursdays from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific on the World Talk Radio Variety channel come play with us you're listening to the world talk radio variety channel Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with musician Bobby Horton. We've been talking about uh, the the joys of making a career out of playing Civil War era music, uh, making recordings such as uh, parts of the soundtrack for Ken Burns' Civil War documentary, performing with uh, everything from symphony orchestra uh, to a string band. And, uh, Bobby, as we were talking in the last segment about your recording techniques where you record all the parts yourself, uh, the question came to my mind, what happens when you're performing live? Uh, uh, how, what part do you choose to play or how do you, how does that work? <laughs> well, yeah, Jerry, that's, that's, that's a good one. Uh, I, I, first of all, you have to produce all your rhythm and all your, and, and your lead stuff. So I'm, I'm really, um, some of the tunes really and truly I, I've not figured out a way to play them live and effectively. So 
primarily using a guitar and banjo and fiddle some and just do, you know, play, sing while I play fiddle. And, but primarily guitar and banjo are my go-tos when I'm doing my performances. Um, and so that's, that, it's a good question. It's a good question because, like I said, there are some tunes that I just can't effectively do, um, especially like the military band type things that I, you know, have on my albums uh, that I can't, I cannot perform because you just can't sing and blow a cornet, you know. <laughs> you can't do time. those at the same time. So there are some I just really can't do. But by and large, I, I, I travel with uh, uh, either an octave mandolin. Uh, I've got, fortunately, I have some period guitars that I use in different tunings. I carry a couple of those if, unless I fly, of course, and the airlines don't want you to carry your tools with you much. And, and then I bring, take an old open back banjo, and uh, that's and I'm off to the races. Now, the banjo is, is a great instrument for that because you, if you're playing the claw hammer style, you're, you're hitting the head, producing a rhythm, like tapping on a tambourine, and then your fingers are playing a melody, and your phone is, thumb is plucking on the drone string, and you, you've got got all of it going at once. Um, that's right, that's right. It's, it's a the, the, fun, fun little instrument. It uh, goes back to the 1830s, yeah. But it's you actually an African... Oh, go ahead. The, the, the banjo was actually an African instrument that was brought here by people that were brought here, and they called it a ban, banjo or a bonza, either one. And uh, there's still banjos over in Africa right now. It's just fascinating uh, history here. A uh, fellow Joel Sweeney was the man who brought it to the public's attention. Um, he added a, a fifth string to it, apparently. And, and there, are, there are historians that argue about which string that was. About some people, Most people think it was the low string that he brought to it to just make the sound bigger. And uh, his brother, Sam, was a banjo player as well. And he's Sam Sweeney is the fellow that was in uh, Jeb Stewart's staff, where Jeb could have banjo music in his campsite. Huh. Well, so it's, it's just it's 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 real important uh, in in the history of of our culture. Really, is is the banjo because to me, you know, Sweeney was a of Irish descent, and uh, he got the idea of taking you take an African instrument with a, an Irishman and an Irish ideas about drone and that sort of thing, and and next thing you know, you've taken those two cultures that came to this country, and you've got what was called the the five string banjo, the American instrument. So. It's a it's a fascinating history and still being written because they're discovering more about it now, as people go back to Africa and see the roots of it over there. So it's just a it's a great thing and it's it was a very popular instrument because uh, it's a happy instrument. I believe it's Steve Martin said a long time ago, you can't play a sad song on a banjo. <laughs> that, that's I've I've heard him talk about try to play play a sad yeah. song and it end up laughing no matter what. But, you know, we had a, a, a Professor uh, Laurent Dubois from uh, Duke University. Uh, it was over here at, in, at East Carolina a month ago giving a talk on the, the banjo, the history of the banjo and its cultural transmission across the Atlantic. And uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's still being studied on a serious academic level to, to understand the, this phenomenon. But it's also just a, a fun instrument to play. I'd like to play uh, another uh, song of yours. Uh, we've heard a couple of Confederate songs, Dixie and Our Boys Are Gone. So we should balance that out with something from the North. And uh, I think there is some banjo in this piece. Uh, yes, sir. I believe that there is. is. Yes, sir. We're going to play something called Abraham's Daughter, and we'll come back and talk a little bit about it. But let's listen to that. Uh, 
This is Abraham's Daughter, uh, as recorded by Bobby Horton. Listen to my song, it is no idle story It's all about a volunteer who's going to fight for glory Now don't you think that I am right, for I am nothing shorter Or I belong to the bars who Susan, don't you think I order We're going down to Washington to fight for Abraham's daughter Oh, should you ask me who she am, Columbia is her name, sir she is the child of Abraham or Uncle Sam, the same sir. Now if I fight, why ain't I right? And don't you think I ought her? The volunteers are pouring in from every loyal quarter. And I'm going along to Washington to fight for Abraham's daughter. Mistaken, and soon you'll see the rebels run with all the fuss they're making. For there is one who just from up your show the full no quarter. But Cleveland is the man I mean, you know, he had an order for. He's gone down to Washington to fly for Abraham's daughter. We'll have a spree with Johnny Bull perhaps someday or other. And won't he have his fingers full if not to deal a bother? For Yankee boys are just the lads upon the land or water. And won't we have a bully fight? And don't you think we order if he is caught at any time insulting Abraham's Sorry question The man who would these states divide Should hang for his suggestion One country and one flag I say who where the war may slaughter So I'm going as a barzoo And don't you think I order I'm going down to Washington To fight for Abraham's Abraham's Daughter, performed by Bobby Horton, our guest today on Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, that opened with uh, the banjo as the, the, the initial instrument, the open back clawhammer style banjo, and then other instruments being added. Uh, that's just what you were talking about, Bobby, a few minutes ago. I could really hear how each verse, uh, each stanza adds another instrument. Uh, you have the penny whistle at the end and others. Uh, it, it, that's quite an interesting tune. Is the melody of that one a traditional melody, do you think? Well, you know, I don't know that the people know. It's definitely based on an Irish melody. There's no question Irish right. was the Irish melodies were the primary influence on melody writers in the 19th century. If they were making up their own melody, they, so many of them made the melody to sound Irish, or that the influence is just real obvious there. That's an early war tune that you just played, 
and it was written by a guy named Septimus Winter, and that was a uh, I think that was a pen name for someone, and I, I and I in fact I'm sure it was, but I can't remember the real fellow's name. But he, he was inspired by a, a Zouave regiment, you know, the war the French. Uh, turban, wore the turban and the baggy pants, I mean the Turkish influence, you know, wore the baggy mm-hmm. red pants and that sort of thing. And it was, uh, there was an, uh, a regiment, uh, from New York of firemen in, in, that was from New York City and that inspired him to write that melody, that tune, uh, as he must have seen them walk, march past or was impressed by their, the gaudy dress and that sort of thing, and so that's where that tune came from. But I would imagine that the melody is—I wouldn't be surprised if somebody said, "Yeah, that's an old Irish melody." And name a fiddle tune, what have you, that was Irish. But I don't know that. I don't know the the actual uh, origin of the melody if if he were actually wrote it. But it was definitely based on the, an Irish style, no doubt. Def- you can definitely hear that, and it's. Interesting to hear the the swagger in the lyrics from the the northern side. We're accustomed to uh, hearing uh, southern tunes uh, bragging about the ability of one rebel to whip ten Yankees, but there we hear <laughs> someone. And it's early war because he's bragging about McClellan, which actually won't go on too much, <laughs> too far into the war. Uh, <laughs> yep, uh, yep. He, I, I think, uh, every, at one time everyone had the same opinion of McClellan that McClellan had of himself, but uh, apparently that waned. <laughs> that did not last. No, that, no, it uh, didn't. Now, as a northern tune, you, you mentioned doing research uh, initially in some archives in the south. Have you found tunes in other parts of the country that you, you add to your performances? Yes, I have. Uh, it, it, of course, the Internet has changed everything. When I first started, there was really no Internet. And I can, I've told people it, it's, it's like a treasure hunt. I, I drove to Jackson, Mississippi one time to get two songs out of the archives over there. And it was, I was so thrilled to get them. And, and I was so excited. And I wanted to... You know, I was going to take a quarter and call somebody that cared, but I couldn't find anybody that cared other than me. But I mean, it was it was real exciting. I looked for John the Cavalry uh, for two over two years, and uh, someone I knew quite well that I talked to frequently that lived up in Hampton, Virginia, uh, just happened to know it, and uh, we were just talking one day, and there it was. So, but I have found tunes and people as I as I started doing, uh, you know, coming out with. CDs. I remember I had to buy 200 cassettes when I first started. I had no idea I was starting anything. I just wanted to preserve my research I'd done on that program and the research I'd come up with in that movie score. And uh, uh, the, the things started settling. There was there was not a whole lot out there available uh, when I started. There were a few things, but like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing these things, and it was fantastic, but it didn't sound like a soldier group to me. And uh, and there was a fellow that had a pre-war Martin, pre-Civil War Martin, and he recorded some instrumentals, and uh, that was about it. And and so I was kind of in, in uncharted waters here. Um, I remember having to buy 200 cassettes minimum, and I remember telling my buddy, I said, man, you got to help me sell these things because... Uh, um, I, I don't want to be stuck with this. <laughs> so, but actually, I, people found them and started buying them, and next thing you know, I got a worldwide dis- distribution of these things, and and they, dealers wanted more and more and more. So I kept finding tunes and recording them, and 
it, it's just kind of snowballed on me. I had no idea that I was starting this. But unfortunately, well, I, there, are, there are many, many, many people playing this music now, and it makes me so happy because it's not going to die. I, I was going to ask about that, about other groups, uh, performers. But first, uh, say you're, you, you had a cassette of homespun music uh, from the Confederacy, and now you've got uh, how many volumes of, of, of recordings have you made? I have uh, actual six volumes of Confederate music, and I'm up. To, I'm for Union. Uh, the Confederate people, uh, for whatever reason, the Confederate music is more in demand, and uh, so dealers kept asking for do another Confederate for me, and so, so yeah, I would do that. So I'm up to ten like that, and uh, of course, and I've done a couple of volumes of Songs of Faith, which were real important to the soldiers back then, because really and truly, if you think about it, Jerry, uh, a, a common soldier. Then as now, it's not manly for a, a soldier to sit around and whine and moan about how horrible this is or how bad I want. I want to go home so bad I can taste it. Well, they all did, and, and you, you couldn't whine and moan about. It. That's not manly, but you could sing about it, and, and, and you know, and so and so they they did do that, and and, and uh, so I uh, they turned to 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 survive this mentally. I can't imagine these fellows going through this, this horrible existence that they lived, and they really, the common man had two things he could turn to. One was his faith, and the other was his music. And and it was, it, it was so, I can't stress how important it was to these people to get through this thing. Uh, and that's, that's that was the one thing that kept coming out is I would study and read letters and read uh, letters and, and reminiscences. They would mention songs, and and I realized really and truly that music was huge for these people. It, it, it wasn't just something that was fun to do. I mean, they needed this, and that's why this this subject is so rich. It is so rich because these songs were important to these people, and um, you, you sense it by studying their lyrics, and you, like I say, they, they were people... When, when writing paper for a southern soldier was scarce and hard to come by, he was talking about a writing home, talking about a song he'd heard that he really let, liked. Let me, he tried to describe the song to to his family back home, you know. And so it, this stuff is important to them. Well, clearly it was it was a, a critical element of, of soldier life and of home front life. Uh, unfortunately, we're just about out of time. But if people want to buy some of these recordings, uh, where's the best place to go? Well, you can go to my website, which is bobbyhorton.com, and uh, that you can buy it off of there. You can go to iTunes. You can uh, Battlefield Parks have them, uh, have CDs, and they're uh, uh, they're really uh, a lot of places, you know, out there. I, I hesitate to name one because I'd leave out a bunch of others, you know. But well, we'll the, the easiest thing is probably that... go to my website uh, and and uh, hit that. You can buy off the website, or you can go to iTunes. You can go to uh, Amazon. Um, my goodness, uh, you know, well, that, most of the get download a, That'll get us started. Uh, I'll, uh, listeners will want to go to bobbyhorton.com and other places. Uh, I'll have to go there and update my cassette collection to CD <laughs> format now. Well, good luck uh, on that. My cassette plan closed is, about is, six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't get those anymore. Listen, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate the uh, chance to, to hear about your music today. Well, Jerry, thank you. I'm so honored to be with you today and to be talking to people who, who love what I love. And it, what a delight. And, and I thank you so, so much. And I really enjoyed talking with you 
today. Well, thank, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network.